This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's allbirds.com code SUPER24. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Wisdom and Crick Business podcast series, The Greatest T20. After a few busy weeks of test cricket, as the cricketing world turns its attention back to T20 cricket for the next few months, so do we. I'm Yaz Rana and as ever, I'm joined by Crickbiz analyst Freddie Wilde and over Zoom in the Caribbean is a genuine great at T20 cricket and a two-time World T20 winner, Samuel Badri. Welcome to the show, Samuel. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your kind words of introduction. Um, so this week we're going to be debating who the greatest T20 spinner of all time is. Um, what makes this episode slightly different is that by having Samuel on the show with us, we have a genuine contender as part of the discussion. No disrespect to Luke Wright and Tamal Mills. Um, but before we kick off, I'm just going to run through some of the names that we'll be talking about and their, and their overall numbers. So you get a picture of what they've achieved in the T20 format. So we've got Sun and Narine, three three eight three wickets at 20, going at 6.01 runs per over. Imran Tahir, 376 wickets at 19.6, 6.99 runs per over. Shakib Al-Hassan, 354 wickets at 21.07, going at 6.89 runs over. Shahida Afridi, 339 wickets at 22.26, going at 6.71 runs and over. Rashid Khan, who already has 303 wickets at 17.27, going at 6.33 runs per over. Syed Ajmal, 2-7 wickets at 17.36, going at 6.5 runs over. Samuel Badri, 187 wickets at 22, going at 6.02 runs over. And Ajantha Mendis, 170 wickets at 19, going at 7 runs over. Um, Freddie, for me, going through that list, what's most striking is the economy rate. All of those bowlers under 7 runs per over. Why don't we see even more spin in T20 cricket when these guys have numbers like that? It's a good question. Uh, and, you know, spinners have been uh, so successful throughout T20 cricket. And I think you know, increasingly teams are beginning to recognize that and we probably are seeing more spin bold. I mean, Samuel um, was instrumental in seeing more spin bold in the power play. So spin started being used at the front of the innings and increasingly in the last few years, we're beginning to see it being used at the death as well. And as spin has become uh, more used in those two phases, I think we'll see the proportion of overs bowled by spinners generally continue to rise. 
And at the moment, you, you know, people watching the CPL in the Caribbean, the pitch is there of massively assisted spinners. Uh, in fact, in the, the, the six matches we've had at the Queen's Park Oval, more than half of the overs have been bowled by spinners. So I think in the coming years, as data analysis becomes more proficient in, in T20, I think people will continue to realise that spin is very effective and we're likely to see more of it bowled, I think. It's an interesting point that you pick up there about Samuel's own career. Um, so when the format started, pundits thought that it'd be the death of spin bowling, but if anything, it's revitalised the art of spin bowling. Samuel, you, you, you were a pioneer in a way in the way you normalised bowling spin in the, in the power play. Um, how, how did that come about in the first place? Who, who had the idea that you should bowl, should bowl up front? Yeah, well, just to underscore that point you're making, in the initial period of T20 cricket, everyone had that opinion about spin bowling and, and they thought that the spinners would be hit out of a park quite regularly. And hence, many of the initial teams would have been quite hesitant to select spin bowlers in their starting lineup. So we'd have seen many more fast bowlers being selected. So it was difficult initially to get into the teams, first of all, and then having to perform. My own role started off uh, quite early within domestic cricket in Trinidad and Tobago. We had, if you guys can remember, that Stanford T20 tournament in 2006 that really started T20 cricket in the Caribbean. And the captain at the time, Darren Ganga, knowing the fact that I would have bowled in local cricket in Trinidad and done a good job with the new ball, decided to give me that role. And fortunately for me, it worked out. And it also assisted the fact that the Caribbean players, by and large, things have changed a little bit now, but certainly in the early days, weren't really adept to playing spin bowling. So me with the new ball, even with the little turn, was quite effective. And in many ways, I sort of pioneered that spin bowling, bowling in the power play with the new ball for many other teams that would have followed. Did you have to do anything different bowling in the power play compared to bowling in the middle overs? Certainly, you have to. You have to have that control in terms of your grip. With the new ball, it's much different with the shine to control the ball. And unless you, are, you have practiced that, unless you have that dexterity, it's going to be difficult. We see bowlers even today, knowing the fact that they might be called upon in the power play to bowl, still struggle. So that even though you have that uh, possibility being there, they are not still adept to doing it. So it's a skill that you have to develop and you develop it over time, obviously, with practice and in game situations. And in terms of the lines and the lengths that you bowl in the power play, certainly different than when you bowl outside with the field restrictions and so on. Um, Fred, which other spinners excel in the power play? Well, in the last few years, uh, you know, as I said, Samuel was sort of a pioneer for it. We've seen more bowlers bowl in that first phase. Um, Samuel Narayan, who's, who's someone we're going to doubtless talk about today a lot, is someone who's become very effective in that period. Um, but he's not a power play specialist quite in the same way that I think Samuel was. That was sort of his primary role uh, when he was playing for Trinidad and for the West Indies. He would often bowl, sometimes you bowl three overs in that phase. Narayan generally will bowl one, maybe two. Um, someone who's a sort of modern version of Samuel in respect of being a power play specialist is Mujib Ur-Rahman from, from Afghanistan. He's someone who will quite regularly bowl three overs up front. Um, he's obviously someone who is a, an off-spinner, uh, a categorised as an off-spinner, of course, but he can bowl um, carom balls, doosers. He often sometimes bowls leg breaks as well. So I think he's someone who, in the modern game, right now is probably one of the preeminent power play spin bowlers. No, we, something we touched on in the, our episode about fast bowlers is the importance to take wickets up top in T20 cricket. So almost, do you give more credit to, to someone like Samuel, someone like Majib, who, who does take wickets up top? Well, there are different types of, of power play bowler. And I think Mujib's actually probably someone who I would categorise as a slightly defensive power play spinner in that 
he's a very, very good at run saving. He does take wickets. Um, but then, for example, someone like Sandeep Lamashane, those two are actually playing together at the moment at the Talawas, which is a really nice pair because Mujib is typically um, very economical, whereas Sandeep is someone who takes wickets regularly. His power play strike rate actually is 12, which is the best of any bowler in the history of the T20 format to have taken more than 25 wickets in the face. So Sandeep is someone who strikes early and strikes regularly. And that is, as you said, mm. extremely important. So coming up with those, those kind of pairs like Mujib and Sandeep work really well together. Um, and another interesting thing from that shortlist that we have is that Shakib is perhaps the only one who you'd class as an orthodox spinner. The others are either leg spinners or mystery spinners. Um, bowlers basically who can spin the ball in both directions. Um, in, in the last 15, 20 years, that hasn't really transferred to test cricket or first class cricket yet. Samuel, what, why do you think that, that is the case, that bowlers who spin the ball both ways haven't yet had the, the massive success in test cricket as they have done in T20 cricket? But just a point on Mujib, before I answer that question, he's designated um, as an off-spinner. But as Freddie was mentioning, he really bows the off-spin. You get more caramboles, more googlies from him. So having a chat with him uh, the other day, he was quite uh, surprised that people still label him as an off-spinner, but he doesn't mind as long as he's getting wickets. Um, the reason for the question, to answer your question, is that in the longer versions, obviously, you have more time in which to play these mystery bowlers, and hence... Uh, their effect is negated. In T20 cricket, obviously, you don't have that time. You have to go after them. And any bowler will tell you, when a batsman is trying to score off you, there's a more likely a chance of you having success against them. So the fact that in the longer versions, players don't necessarily have to go after these bowlers. They can sit on them and negate their threat. Uh, hence the reason why their success hasn't been translated from T20 into the longer versions. Mm. The, the, the labelling point is quite an interesting one because... We, we still use very like, historical, traditional ways of labelling bowls. Like, what, what would you actually call Majib if you were the person in charge of that? Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that because at Crickviz now, we're trying to sort of evolve how bowlers are categorised and, and we, we use ball tracking data to define the bowler. And so you know, we can analyse the type of deliveries that they're bowling by looking at the ball tracking data. And actually, the system that we've got in our database is such that if a bowler starts to change the deliveries that they're bowling, the categorization will change. Mujib, according to our system, is just simply referenced as a mystery bowler. That's because he will bowl, as Samuel said, various different types of, of spin. He's not even, and also he's not just a finger spinner or a wrist spinner. You can't compartmentalize him like that because he'll do both. Uh, and I think as the game evolves, hopefully Crickviz and other companies can play a role in actually keeping those definitions a little bit more accurate because just because Majib does or used to bowl a lot of off spin, now he doesn't really, as Samuel said. So it's probably better to, to categorize him as a mystery spinner. So we need to narrow down our shortlist. Um, so Samuel, out of those, let's put them in different categories for the moment. So out of those mystery spinners, so Mendis, Ajmal and Narain, who would you put at the top of your list? And be before we get into that, in terms of the lack of mystery, and you mentioned Shakib, and he doesn't have that mystery, but has still found a way to be successful. So there are other elements that will lend itself to success in T20 cricket, Guile, that dexterity to change your pace and your length. Mohamed Nabi is another good example. He doesn't have any sort of mystery, but he's found a way to be successful in T20 cricket. So credit to those guys. Uh, to answer your question, Ajanta Mendes was quite exceptional. He had some six-wicket holes early in his career. That, that mystery, again, batsman not being able to decipher what he was doing. But Sunil Narayan, by his sheer statistics, the number of games that he's played, his economy, playing in the top leagues in the world, I would rank him at the top of the pile. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. You know, I think that there's, there's a, you know, Mendes played a very important role actually in Narayan's career because I think Narayan credits um, coming up with the carambol thanks to, he saw Mendes doing it uh, for Sri Lanka and Narayan then copied him with the carambol, which obviously has been massive to Narayan's success. But Narayan has gone you know, well clear of, of Mendes, certainly, and Ajmal. Uh, Ajmal's a mystery spinner who very much did rely on his Dusra. And then after, I think, the ICC clamped down on bowling actions around the 2015 World Cup, Ajmal's effectiveness was massively reduced, whereas Narayan, who he was also slightly changed as a result. He had to remodel his action, but he came back and he's endured. And there's no question that of the mystery spinners, Narayan is, is the standout. Mm. Um, and it's actually quite interesting just referencing that um, clamp down on bowling actions. The way that spin has evolved across sort of the, the history of T20 is quite interesting because originally, right back in the day, um, bowlers like Jeremy Snape, who had success over here in England, were basically classical orthodox bowlers. We then saw the rise, thanks largely to Mendes and Ajmal, of mystery spinners who were guys who could bowl doozers and carambols. And for between around 2008 to sort of 2015, they were the guys that were really effective. Uh, Narayan obviously was another one, Ashwin, Murali too. And those bowlers were bowlers who off spinners, but could spin the ball both ways, which is obviously so important. Then the ICC clamped down on bowling actions and a lot of those bowlers, their effectiveness was massively reduced. They had to bowl fewer carambols and they weren't as effective. Then, post-2015, we've seen the rise of wrist spinners, which I'm sure we'll come on to, the likes of Rashi Khan, who can bowl, spin the ball both ways without pushing the limits of the law. Now, Narayan has obviously, as I said, endured because he's managed to come out the other side of that clamp down and change in his bowling action and still be extremely effective, which is why he's definitely in the debate as to you know, possibly the greatest T20 spinner of all time, because he's managed to endure for such a long time and sort of come back through those setbacks around his action. I wanted to ask Freddie, um, he mentioned Carambol and he mentioned the Dusra. And I wanted to hear his differentiation of both because I have my own thoughts as well. Well, I, I would at least say a Carambol is one that's involved sort of coming out of the front of the hand with a particular flick of the finger. That's why the ball was called the Carambol. Mendis, um, that was what Mendis did. I think he pushed it out with his middle finger. Um, and that was named after, I think, an Asian board game called Karam, where you'd flick sort of discs across a board. Whereas the Dusra is a little bit more like, I suppose, I think Sakle Mushtak was the original bowler to bowl the Dusra, and then Murali um, also popularized that. And that's the one I think that involves a bit more sort of wrist work. Although you're a finger spinner, there's some wrist motion put on. But Samuel, I definitely would, uh, you're, you're the expert here, even, even, even though you were a wrist spinner. <laughs> no, no, no. I 100% agree with you. So it's basically the release of the ball. The carambo, like you rightly mentioned, is more of the finger, the middle finger and front of the hand. And the dusra, more of the wrist action, trying to get that ball to go the other way. So you're spot on with that explanation. Excellent. Good, good to know we're all on the same page. I've, I've, I've actually played carambo. It really, really hurts your fingers. I mean, that, the fact that Mendes could do that was um, remarkable. And actually, it's interesting, Narayan, one of the reasons Narayan was able to become good at it, I think Samuel will certainly know this more than me, but I think was to do with the fact that he originally played a lot of tape ball, tennis ball cricket in Trinidad, which when we spoke to Darren Ganger in one of our previous episodes, was massive in why so many players from Trinidad are good at T20 cricket. But Narayan, I think, built up that strength playing tennis ball, tape ball cricket in, in sort of flicking that ball out of the front of the hand. Is that right, Samuel? Yes, certainly. We would have grown up playing that in the backyards, in the streets, a lot of tennis ball cricket. And it develops that dexterity, that strength in those fingers. We talk about the fine motor skills. And doing that with the tennis ball over a number of years really aided his development and his ability to do that. And we saw how impactful that has been for him. 
So he himself would have mentioned that that fact, the, the, the fact that in his formative years, he would have played a lot of tennis ball cricket. Perhaps that's something for the youngsters to continue to do. Hmm, excellent. Um, so move, moving on to the, to the leg, leg spinners then. Freddie, as, as we talked about, you know, the, the, the categorizations are almost a bit crass when describing what different spinners do. So with the leg spinners we've got here, so Samuel, Rashid Khan, Shahida Freedy, Imran Tahir, what, what do they do differently? Well, I mean, I think one thing that's important to note is um, we talk about um, that we just talked about Mendes there being an influence for Narine. I think um, Shida Freedy is is really important to mention here in, in in how he's influenced leg spin because he bowled very fast and very flat, and I think he was playing. You know, when Rashid Rashi Khan has certainly credited that as a key thing in his bowling, and, and he watched Shida Freedy. He was a uh, Freedy was one of his idols, and Rashi Khan in particular. That's what his his particular success has been founded on is being a fast, you know, he bowls quickly. Um, you know, spinners are always known for, I suppose, bowling slower than pace bowlers. And obviously Rashid Khan's not bowling that quick, but for a spinner, he's very fast through the air. He bowls a lot of googlies. That's his one, probably the key trait for Rashid. And it's that combination of high speed and then a lot of balls turning in different directions. And Rashid's actually um, a particularly interesting case because again, going back to the classifications of bowlers, whilst he is a wrist spinner, the, the, the spin on his googly comes from his fingers. He gave a really interesting interview with Sky Sports a few years back where he said he's a sort of, un he, he categorizes himself as a finger spinner, which is amazing really, because he, 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 the ball will come out of the back of his hand as it does for all googlies, but his fingers sort of impart additional spin right at the end, I think, which makes it very, very difficult to pick. And there's some really interesting numbers actually on Rashid that his effectiveness in day games is actually nowhere near as good as day-night games. And batsmen credit that because it's slightly easier to see that sort of finger motion on the ball when there's natural light. But when there's floodlights, it's actually a little bit more difficult to see him do that, which I think is fascinating. So that for me, with Rashid, that's the thing that's really interesting is the, the combination of high speeds um, and balls turning in different directions. I mean, Samuel, um, I suppose the thing that stood out about him was that operating in the power play. And I guess um, you're certainly the man to, to ask on this. But for me, the things that stood out about your bowling was you bowl very straight and, and not give the stumps away. Is, is, is that sort of one thing you really focused on in the power play? Yes, and certainly Shahida Fruity has been a, a figure in my early career as well. So like Rashid, I would have looked at him as certainly someone I wanted to emulate. And it was a simple plan for me really to bowl wicket to wicket as much as possible and take away the arms from the batsman and use subtle variations in pace and length. And in as much as batsmen would have known that plan, they still found it very difficult to counteract it. And again, it has to go back to muscle memory and uh, practicing over the years. Even though I was classified, and we keep using that word again, as a leg spinner, most of my deliveries came back into the right-hander with the angle. And the batsman would have known that, but still not make the accommodation and still try to score through the offside, even though the ball was coming into them. Um, one name I would like to mention too, though, is Amit Mishra. He's been hugely successful in the IPL. I think he has three IPL hat-tricks, and he's one of the more classical-type leg spinner, um, quite apart from what we have seen with the other ones who are very flat and into the pitch. He relies more on flight and turn, and he is worth mentioning because of the huge success that he has had in one of the high-level competitions throughout the world. Um, but there are several things that, that come into play with the wrist spinners. The fact that they have that ability to bowl to both right-handed and left-handed batsmen, their uh, variations, their guile. But also, I've found that the modern batsmen have lost the art of playing against leg spin bowling. 
so that the ability to pick the ball off the hand is something that's no longer there. Many of them just rely on length, and if that ball is in a hitting arc, they can capitalize on that. But the minute it's a, of a good length, they just simply defend it. They can't find a way to score. So they are just waiting, essentially, for that six-hitting ball. So the batsmen have lost that art to pick the, ball, the bowlers out of their hands, and they rely mainly on a particular length. So in addition to the variation, I think the batting two has not been of the best against Respinant. Mm, interesting. Uh, interesting you, you mentioned Amit Risha there, more classical leg spinner. How, how important do you think um, traditionally sort off the traits such as flight and drift? How important do you think those are in T20 cricket? It's less important, let's be honest. The, the, the risk that is involved in doing that is very high because that's what batsmen are looking for. They're just looking to get under the ball. And with the smaller fields, I think it takes away from the leg spinner's ability to try to get wickets in that regard. So they try to bowl more into the pitch. They try, like Rashid Khan does, Imran Tahir does, bowl a little bit flatter. But for me, it's always good to have that in your armory because at some points in time, you need to look for wickets. And that's the job of the wrist spinners and most of the team, to attack, to get wickets for your team. So if you do have that ability to turn to flight and to beat the batsman in the air, it becomes crucial, but less crucial in this format, although it's an important skill to have. Yeah, I mean, it, just, just um, you know, that, that touches on something that I think is really interesting about spin bowling in the modern game generally and that's the and Yaz touched on it as well by saying that there aren't many bowlers there are very few bowlers that succeed in red and white ball cricket if you look at the the the, the rankings uh, the ICC rankings they're dominant in T20 cricket they're dominated by spinners and particularly wrist spinners if you then go to test cricket at the moment we're in a golden era for pace bowling and the, the spinners that feature in the, in the near the top of the rankings are generally finger spinners Lyon, Ashwin, Jadeja stand out as the, probably the best three. And whilst they're still good T20 bowlers, they're not the ones who are sort of the elite. And I think that's because the skills are very, very different now. What you need to succeed in test cricket generally is accuracy. And you try and bowl the same ball over and over again, try and land it on the same spot over and over again. Whereas in T20, it's actually the opposite. You're trying to bowl, often you're trying to bowl different balls one after another. There's a very famous interview with Ravi Ashwin where he said, the way to go in T20 is to bowl six bad balls in a well-constructed order because the batsman isn't sure what's coming. And you're sort of, I guess you're trying to stay ahead of the batsman. It's a remarkable sort of admission, I suppose, to make. But T20 spin bowlers, their sort of art, I suppose, is, is built on bowling flatter, faster, into the pitch. Um, and, and Samuel, completely right to, to bring Mishra into it. We, it was remiss of us not to include him. He is a sort of classical leg spinner, still in the mould of, or I suppose a little bit more like Shane Warne used to be, in that he would toss the ball up, try and bowl full. Um, and actually, it's, it's amazing when you compare the sort of raw materials of Shane Warne, who's, I suppose, the greatest test bowler or test spin bowler ever, or certainly wrist spinner, uh, with Rashid Khan, who's one of the sort of leading T20 spin bowlers. And it's amazing how different they are. Rashid bowls about 10 miles an hour faster. Warren almost never bowled googlies. Rashid always bowls googlies. Warren turned the ball a huge amount. Rashid doesn't actually turn it that far. It's sort of slightly smaller spin. Um, Warren's lengths were very full. He'd give the ball a lot of air. He'd get drift and Rashid doesn't. So the, the, the arts, just, you know, to call them both leg spinners, again, going back to the categorization, they are so different. And that's, I think, one of the really interesting things is that tit spin bowling has very much split into two arts. There's red ball spin bowling and white ball spin bowling. And Afridi, Samuel, and now Rashid are sort of the pioneers for how wrist spin in particular has been changed. Mm. Um, Samuel, 
you, you now work, work in coaching and punditry, so you have quite an interesting perspective on this. How, how important are matchups for spin bowlers? So in team meetings, etc. Um, and is 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 it is it is, is that why guys who can spin the ball both ways have that edge because you're not as fast who they bowl to? Well, it's interesting you ask that question because we were looking at it last night in that CPL match, and we was we were speaking about matchups and. Uh, the guy in Amazon Warriors, they decided to leave out one of their left-hand orthodox bowlers in Ashmin Ned, who has been um, hugely successful. As a matter of fact, he has been the most economical bowler in the tournament thus far. And the reason is because of the matchups and coming against the left-handedness of the Trinbago Knight Riders batting lineup. And then when we looked at when Trinbago Knight Riders bowled, Carrie Pierre, the left-hand orthodox, was able to get three left-hand batsmen out. So if we talk about matchups, you would expect that Carrie Pierre would be looking to get the right-handers out, but it turned out that he was able to get the left-handers out. And sometimes, just sometimes, I think we overplay just a little bit. And when we look at, and Freddie might be able to give us some more insights there, when we look at the success of bowlers, most of their wickets, and this is just me um, going on my observation, have come from the deliveries that come back into the particular batsman. So you see Rashid Khan, Imran Tahir, and these guys, their googlies to right-handed batsmen have been very effective, even though we're talking about the batsman hitting with the turn. So matchups are key, I think, but sometimes, just sometimes, I think we, we, we play way too much into it. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think there is a tendency to sort of overcomplicate it sometimes. Um, but there is also no doubt that matchups are a massive part of T20. And it's interesting what you say there about the balls that come in take more wickets. And generally, the statistics show that balls that spin in are more effective from a strike rate perspective, but balls that turn away are more effective from an economy rate perspective. So if you're looking to dry up runs, turning the ball away from the bat, taking it out of the arc is key. And I think that's the thing we often focus on with matchups. We think about the economy rate and we think about, okay, so if I'm playing against a left-hander heavy team, I want to pick an off spinner to turn the ball away from the bat, which it makes sense. And generally that will uh, bring rewards in terms of your economy rate. But spinning the ball into the batsman will create wicket opportunities largely because that's when batsmen look to attack. So if you are a left-arm spinner bowling to left-handers, you're spinning the ball in. It might mean you might be a bit more expensive, but you will probably collect wickets because they're going to look to get after you. So I think, yeah, it's a very interesting sort of dynamic between run saving and wicket taking. But so to go back to Yaz's original point, I certainly think guys who can turn the ball both ways are, are easier to play to matchups because it doesn't really matter so much um, whether the batsman's a right-hander or a left-hander. And then also I think they're just more useful because it complicates attacking batting. If you're there looking to swing through the line of the ball, but you don't know which way the ball's going to turn, it means it's, it's a lot more difficult. And um, Samuel mentioned Mohamed Nabi, and we've also touched on Shakib. I think they're probably the two classical orthodox bowlers who don't turn the ball both ways but through intelligence through changes of pace and also through an arm ball which still has value so Nabi can get the ball to sort of just go straight on with the arm so can Shakib, and that means they're pretty good at bowling to both right-handers and left-handers but life is certainly tougher for the orthodox finger spinner compared to mystery spinners and wrist spinners just because they can't turn the ball both ways. Mm. Uh, before, before I ask you to choose um, which, which leggy for you tops that, that list. Um, just a couple of things more generally about leg spin and spin generally in T20 cricket. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of these guys burst onto the scene very quickly. So with Rashid Khan and you mentioned Sandeep Lamakane, we'll talk a little bit about later on. They go from complete or relative unknowns in T20 cricket to being 
mainstays in T20 leagues all over the world overnight, basically, and perhaps more so than in any other discipline. Um, so, so to both of you, what, why do you think that's the case? From obscurity to stardom, yeah? Um, I, think, I think it's the case because of uh, what they bring to the table and, and, and we keep mentioning the ability to turn the ball both ways. But what, what has been key for me is the ability to back up that performance. Whenever you start a tournament for the first time or play in a tournament for the first time, generally, by and large, there is some success. But it's the second time around that you are really tested. And in this particular tournament, in the CPL, Hayden Walsh Jr., who was the leading wicket taker in 2019, the MVP of the tournament, has found it very hard, at least so far. So that inability... And I use that, that's a strong word. He hasn't gotten into the tournament just yet. And that's a challenge for him. Guys like Rashid Khan and Lamichani and these guys have proven that they can do it repeatedly. So I think that is key, the ability to, 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 to do that on a consistent basis. And if you can do that and prove yourself on a high level competitive stage, then it really proves your worth. The bowlers who can't do that, who have you know, one good summer, um, are the ones who necessarily fall away by the wayside. So um, the ability to turn the ball both ways, that really is key, that element of mystery. And unless you are like Shakib, who has all the, the, the guile and the cunningness and Nabi, then you need something additional to find success in this modern game. Yeah, and I mean, we spoke about Mendes, and, and it's probably a bit harsh on his career to say he sort of burst onto the scene and then quickly disappeared because he was dominant for a number of years. But he did disappear, given how well he did, quite fast. Eventually, you know, you know he, he had a couple of years of being brilliant. And I do wonder as well, with the rise of like video analysis and, and that kind of stuff as well, that makes things harder for these mystery type bowlers. I mean, it, it also happens in, um, with quick bowlers too, who have sort of tricks. I mean, AJ Ty, for example, is someone who relies a lot on his knuckleball and changes of pace. And in the last couple of years, he struggled a little bit. I think it'd be interesting to see how he comes back in the upcoming IPL. But you know, I think the rise of video analysis makes life harder for these guys to survive. And I think it's testament, again, going back to Narain, that he's sort of gone through various eras and various different changes to his action and still endured. Um, because in an age when they're analysed more closely than ever before, that's a difficult thing to do. Mm. One, of the things, uh, one of the things, Freddie, is I've been always told to continue to evolve, to continue to change in order to survive especially at the back end of your playing career when, like you rightly mentioned, everyone becomes accustomed with what you're doing. And I've seen in this tournament, Sunil Narayan, with a new action. I don't know if you guys notice it. He's hiding the ball a lot more. Yeah. So the only time the batsman actually sees the ball is in his delivery stride. So there again, that uh, continuing to evolve in order to be relevant, in order to be successful. And the smarter bowlers will do that because you can't be doing the same thing year after year. Like you rightly mentioned, batsmen and opposition teams are going to line you up. Mm. Um, and kind of, kind of linked to that, there's something meritocratic about spinners in T20 cricket. Only Amit Mishra, the guys we've talked about, are from uh, one of the, the big three cricketing countries in terms of wealth and resources. Um, one of the guys we talked about a lot comes from Afghanistan, two of the guys, Mujib as well. And one of the guys um, who will be in the conversation for years to come, Sandeep Lamakane, is from Nepal. Um, obviously, it's brilliant Steve this talent come from different places and new places. Um, but but why, do you, why do you think that's the case that we've, we're seeing that more so with, with spin than any other discipline? 
that, that's a good question. I, I think um, for, for those places, this, it, it's easier to produce spin bowlers because of um, the pitches that they're, they're playing on uh, in, in Nepal and Afghanistan. You'll find more spinners coming through the ranks. And also, it's a natural art, a natural skill that they're bringing to the table. So I think coaching at the, at the formative years sometimes takes away from that natural skill that players will bring. And you would find that in these countries, in Nepal and Afghanistan and the other countries, they don't have that coaching in those formative years. So these players come through learning uh, very streetwise. And you will have seen that in Sri Lanka as well with Lasit Malinga, Ajanta Mendes. And, and that is key. Those coaches at the early years, they try to change you to be more traditional and, and, and more technical. I, I just want to see uh, young players doing their thing, their way, and trying to find success. So I'm really happy that these guys are doing that and really forging the way. I'm not saying that coaching at the youth levels are bad. I'm just saying that we want to harness the raw talent and we want to allow players to uh, express themselves in their way and not try to change them too early. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And I had a conversation actually with um, Carl Crow, who uh, was Sonal Narine's bowling coach and, and coaches around the world. And he said a very similar thing about the fact that you know, in, in the sort of, I suppose, richer cricketing nations, there's a, probably an inclination to almost overcoach. And, you know, a bowler will come through the system. Uh, and if he has a slightly unusual action or does something a little bit odd, then sometimes I think coaches uh, in England and Australia are maybe guilty of sort of getting involved and changing that. Whereas you're completely right in Nepal and Afghanistan and also in the Caribbean, I think with slightly less formalized coaching structures, unusual talent and uh, original styles is sort of allowed to flourish. And that's why we see far more miss. I mean, in fact, we've never seen a mystery spinner from Australia or from England. And I think that is partly conditions, but I think it's also related to the, to coaching. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see in the coming years, whether um, we, we do ever see a sort of mystery spin bowler emerge from Australia or from England. I mean, the closest thing we've got recently actually is Chris Green, who's obviously um, he, he's Australian and he does, you know, he is a, He's a classical bowler, but he has got a few tricks. And he's, in fact, I think he worked on a, on a Karen ball. Obviously, recently he's been um, battling with a, a, an action suspension and he's come back. But he's actually someone who's a little bit outside the Australian setup. He's never played for Australia. Um, and it's interesting that yeah, ne- neither England or Australia have produced those mystery spinners. Hmm. Um, well, we need, to, we need to narrow it down. So before we, uh, I ask you to pick your number one spinner overall, I'm going to ask you to pick your number one leg spinner T20 cricket has seen. Um, Samuel, do you have any anyone who you'd like to put forward to? Uh, Chahal uh, has had some success international cricket, international T20 and in the IPL. Uh, a, a classical type leg spinner as well, similar in the mold of uh, Ahmed Mishra, I'd say. He doesn't necessarily bowl as quickly as the other wrist spinners, so he's someone who is in the mix as well. Uh, but wrist spin, you can't go past Rashid Khan. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Um, with no disrespect to, to our guest on the show today, um, I think Rashid has, you know, Rashid, Rashid has, in a short time, already become the greatest wrist spinner that T20 has ever seen. Uh, he's inherited and learned from the likes of Afridi and, of course, Samuel as well um, with what he does, but he does it uh, more effectively than anyone has ever done it before. Um, both you know, both Narayan, who we've, we've put forward as the best mystery spinner, and Rashid, what they do is combine low economy rates and low strike rates. You know, they're, they're good at run saving and they're good at wicket taking. Um, Rashid has harnessed uh, a lot of the things that other great wrist spinners have, 
have adopted or taken to the game and he sort of perfected it. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's no way we can look past Rashid. It's amazing. He's still so young at the start of his career, um, but he's already got such a good record and he's going to dominate the format, I expect, for many years to come. I, I would just quite like to add a, a word for Imran Tahir, who I think is, is just quietly you know, putting together an outstanding record. He, you know, because I think because he's sort of been there throughout the whole time of T20, it's almost like he snuck under the radar a bit in that, as we spoke about, guys who've burst onto the scene and been brilliant suddenly. Tahir has just been consistently excellent for a number of years. And actually, um, in the last couple of years, well, in, in the last, I was looking at some numbers yesterday, since April last year, uh, Tahir's record is actually far superior to Rashid's, which is amazing. Right now, if you had to say who's the best leg spinner in the world right at this very moment, I think I'd actually go Tahir. Um, Tahir's taken 93 wickets in 60 matches since April 2019. Rashid's taken 64 in 57 games. Uh, Tahir's economy rate's been a, a lower as well. I think across his career, Rashid is certainly the best leg spinner. But right now, I think just a word for Imran Tahir, who has been phenomenal. And he does a very similar thing to Rashid as well. It's fast speeds, lots of googlies, attacks the stumps. Um, he's a phenomenal bowler. And he also can bowl in all three phases, something that Rashid and Narayan do. Bowl in the power play, bowl through the middle, and more recently, at the death. So Imran Tahir, I don't think, should be forgotten. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, Rashid's wicket-taking over his career already is ridiculous. He's almost, I don't know, this, this is a week that DJ Bravo's become the first T20 bowler to take 500 wickets. I, I, I think Rashid Khan's going to be the first to break the 1,000 mark. He's already up in the 300s and he's still in his early 20s. Okay, so we, we've narrowed it down to our final two, Sinan Narayan versus Rashid Khan. Um, uh, Samuel, I'll, I'll go to you first. Who, who are you going to pick? There's a Trinidadian bias in me <laughs> that will see Sunil Narayan based on his numbers. Uh, and we, we're talking strictly bowling. We're not talking about his batting ability or anything like that. 11 four-wickets haul or five-wickets haul. He's playing in the highest or the most intense competition, the IPL. Uh, different conditions there. He's done it at international level. You know, 383 wickets, an economy of 6.01. And when you factor in that many teams now, more so in the last two years or so, just trying to play him out and not give him any wickets, he's still been very successful. So I, I, I would agree with Freddie that, and, and yourself that Rashid will end up with the most wickets in his career. But uh, the Trinidadian bias in me, I can't, uh, I can't not say Sunilarine. I'm going to agree with you, Samuel. I think Narayan is, at the moment, Pips Rashid as the greatest. And the main reason for that is longevity. We've spoken today about the difficulty in staying ahead of the game and staying relevant in an age where, you know, your action and your, your, your different deliveries are analysed more closely than ever before. And Narayan has not only endured that, but he's had to endure changes to his bowling action. I think, you know, we cannot underestimate the challenge that that posed him in 2015 when the ICC clamped down on bowling actions. Narayan was forced to remodel his action. I think he was twice suspended. Um, he did bowl and does bowl fewer carambles and doozers now than he used to. Well, I don't think he ever bowled a doozer, fewer, fewer carambles um, than he used to because of the fact that the ICC have been stricter on, on bowling actions. But he's come through that challenge as well. And he is a slightly less effective bowler than he was prior to that suspension. Before the suspension, he was very, very effective at taking wickets and choking the, choking the runs. Um, but now he's slightly less effective as a wicket taker, but he's still superb. And I think Rashid Khan has been brilliant, but actually I was just you know, reading out those numbers comparing to here to him in the last year or so. 
I think we're entering a phase now when Rashid's numbers are going to dip slightly. They are dipping slightly at the moment. You know, in, in, even in this CPL currently ongoing, he's not been the force that he had that he was. And I think you know we can't underestimate that all spinners and all bowlers go through ups and downs. And I think in the last eighteen months, Rashid has begun to dip. He was phenomenal for three and a half, four years, and he's starting to dip. And I think that that show, you know, for a while we wondered whether that would ever happen to Rashid. He was so good and so hard to pick and so effective. Um, but his numbers have taken a turn. And I think that that sort of you know, puts it into context. Narayan has had ups and downs, but Narayan's done it for, you know, almost, well, he's done it for 10 years now. He burst onto the scene in 2011, 2012. Um, he's done it all around the world. And this is without even considering his, his batting, which has become a huge bonus in the last couple of years. But yeah, I, I think I'd agree with Samuel. Narayan is the greatest T20 spinner of all time. And I think it's not a foregone conclusion that Rashid will necessarily pip him. I think people have in the last few years thought that it's inevitable Rashid will end up as the greatest. And I think, you know, he, he's got a fantastic chance. and He's obviously an incredible bowler. Um, but just because of the, you know, the, the form we've seen in the last year or so, it is very hard to remain as good as he has for as long as he has. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things progress. Also, Narayan's still got many years ahead of him as well. Mm. Mm. I mean, there, there we have it. We've got Sinan Narayan as our, as our number one. But whilst we are talking about Sinan Narayan, and I know this is a show specifically about spin bowling, but we can't talk about Sinan Narayan without talking about this evolution of, of him as a batsman as well. I remember just waking up one morning and seeing suddenly this bloke is batted. 9, 10, and 11 his entire career, opening the batting in the big bash. Um, how, how, how did that happen? Well, that, that, that came about as a result of matchups. We talk about matchups. The, the Renegades were playing against the Melbourne Stars that day, and uh, Michael Beer was going to open the bowling for the Melbourne Stars, and he was someone who had really troubled Aaron Finch over the years. And, they, and, and the Renegades recognised that Narayan matched up really well against him. He'd, he'd been hitting the ball well in the nets. He's always been a, a, a player with good hand-eye. And again, going back to tape ball cricket in Trinidad, I'm sure Samuel will, will um, you know, corroborate this, he's always a, a good hitter of the ball. Um, and, and the Renegades thought, let's throw him up there and see how it goes. And it went well, and, but well in sort of um, new age terms. I think he got 20 off sort of 10 balls or something. So he didn't get many runs, but he got them quickly. And then quite soon after that, KKR paired him up with Chris Lynn in, in an iconic partnership. Um, Lynn struggled against spin and KKR recognised that they needed to protect Lynn from spinners so Lynn could tuck into his normal diet of pace bowling. And the Rhine being a very good spin power hitter and a left-hander, paired perfectly with Chris Lynn. So they stuck them up together at the top of the order. And the rest is history, really. Every other T20 side to have Narayan has generally used him as a pinch hitter. And it's amazing how much value he adds in that phase. And it's not just the fact that he scores quickly. I think the key thing, really, is the fact that he does it against spin. Um, you know, we spoke about Samuel bowling in the power play. One of the reasons Samuel was so effective is a lot of traditional openers don't like facing spin bowling. So as soon as you stick Narayan up there, it really complicates the plans of opposition teams who suddenly think, hang on, can we bowl our spinners in the first six overs? No, because Narayan's there. And then if you pair him with someone like Lynn, who destroys pace, you're stuck, really. It's a double-edged sword. The, the way we end all our shows, Samuel, is we, is we look forward to the future. Uh, we, we speculate about who, who might be in the discussion in five years' time or ten years' time. We've already spoken about... Lamakani, a bit about Majid, but I was wondering between the two of you if there are any other names that you'd like to put forward for guys to keep an eye on in years to come. I, no, I, I think those two, those two really stand out um, from what I've seen around the world. Um, if I were to think about it, 
it's just those two at the moment that really stand out in terms of I expect lots of wickets from them. I expect great things from them. Um, I can't really think of anyone at the moment who will be up there. Um, Mujib, because of his, his variations, because of his ability to, to bowl both the Carambol and the, the Gugli and Sandy Plamichani, certainly his variations as well. I, I think those two really stand out. It's amazing, really. Those two sort of are overshadowed a bit by Rashid because Rashid's so good. I think Mujib and Sandeep sneak under the radar a bit, but they're both very young, again, from non-traditional countries and are superb. You know, they play in all the leagues around the world and are excellent. Uh, just a couple of other, and I'd agree with Sammy as well, they're the two that you'd sort of um, that stand out as being, in, in five, ten years' time, I'm pretty confident that they'll be in the discussion. A couple of sort of more left-field names, I suppose, of guys that we saw um, in the Under-19 World Cup, I mean, this is a bit more of a punt, I suppose, but Ravi Bishnoi, uh, the Indian wrist spinner, is someone who was, was excellent. And then also Noor Ahmed, who's an Afghan. Um, the Afghan Afghanistan are going to continue to produce lots of mystery spinners, I think. Um, and those two are guys who stand out. Bishnoi actually is contracted to Kings Eleven in the IPL. It'll be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, but, you know, I, th I think we'll see many more young spinners emerge, particularly from non-traditional countries in the coming years. Mm, I was out the other night in the World Cup and what was really clear was the influence that bowlers like Rashid Khan are having on the next generation of, of spin bowlers. So nearly every team had a, had a high class wrist spin option. Um, uh, Ravi Bishnoi's run up, he, he, he runs in like a medium pacer almost. <laughs> he bowls exactly the same style of bowling as Rashid Khan and um, it's quite interesting. Australia had a really good leg spinner. Tanvir Sanger was, was excellent. And Afghanistan had a, a nurse, a left arm wrist spinner, but they had Shafakulo as a more traditional leg spinner as well. So uh, there, there was just so much wrist spin in this tournament. And I wonder, I wonder if that's something that we'll just see more and more and more of in the, in the years to come. Yeah, I mean, one, one last comment on that. I think what would be really cool is if the ICC staged under 19 T20 World Cup. We see, um, you know, we see under 19 50 over World Cup. I'd love to see a T20 World Cup. I mean, I think the, the players who played in it uh, would probably be very similar, but it would, you know, I think it would be a, a fantastic breeding ground for, um, I can imagine there'd be many IPL scouts uh, watching that tournament if it did go ahead. But yeah, that would be quite cool. Absolutely. Um, Samuel, thank you so much for joining us. Samuel, thanks a lot. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. This has been the fifth episode of Wizen and Quick Visits podcast series, The Greatest T20. If you've liked what you've listened to, subscribe, tell your friends, and if you're feeling really nice, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.